Hmm. It's been a long time to write. Yeah, one. me too. We're going to start at the top one here. I think that's what we're doing. Okay. That'd be the prayer before study, rather than the one afterwards. I think that's wise, yeah. Maybe your will, and I, my God, that a mishap not come about through me. And may I, we not stumble in the matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is Tameh, that it is Tahor, and not regarding something which is Tahor, that it is Tameh. And may our colleagues not stumble in the matter of law and we rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom from his mouth, from knowledge and understanding. Unveil my eyes that I perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Joshua. Well, welcome, guys. Uh, it's been, uh, I think, a year and two weeks since, uh, maybe a year and three weeks since we had class. And I'm ready for it. So let me tell you what's in your lap, what we're going to do tonight, and then what we're going to do uh, going forward for probably the next 15 to 16 weeks, if you last that long. <laughs> um, rules of the house, for those of you who have not been here for a class or haven't been here in a while, bathroom is right in there. Go whenever you want. Make sure you put the cover down. I'm training women. <laughs> So, uh, water is in the uh, bottle over there. There's uh, cups on the counter. Feel free to get what you want. Get up whenever you want. If you feel yourself falling asleep, stand up. Uh, coffee machine, press coffee. Makes coffee. Cups are right next to it. Um, I think that's about it. If you can make it, come. If you're going to be late, that's fine. I'd rather have you late than not here at all. Um, I am going to do my very best to have the audio from every class posted um, in our podcast by lunch the next morning, the next afternoon. Um, we are not videoing tonight because the camera seems to overheat. Mary's working on that. Um, we should have a new camera by Thursday, so classes after this, uh, if your wives and sisters and daughters and whatnot want to watch, uh, they're certainly welcome to do that. The booklet I have printed is strictly for tonight, and uh, you don't need to worry about it. You can just put it aside for now if you want. Um, there's a nice little introduction about what we're going to do, uh, and then basically the class that I'm going to give tonight. My desire would have been to hand you lesson one next week's. Um, you'll probably get that in the mail or online tomorrow. Uh, almost done, but not quite. So what are we doing, and how's this going to work? Our study this year is strictly the apostolic scriptures. We want to understand exactly what they say, what the Master says. Um, we want to uh, become so familiar that when someone mentions a book of the apostolic scriptures, we will right away know what that book's all about. Probably know one or two quotes from that book so that we might be able to steer people in the right direction or go someplace, know where we should go for study. Uh, secondary to that is having gone through the entire corpus of the Apostolic Scriptures, eight authors, 27 books, we should have a pretty good idea of what the Word of God says about our Holocaust, how we should walk out our faith. And in the intro of what I handed you, uh, you can read later about how, I mean, there's just, as far as I can tell, every possible understanding is being practiced out there. From folks in the visible representation of the church that 
don't believe that the law has any bearing on us at all, that Jesus uh, annulled the law, fulfilled the law, did away with the law, loved the law, but we don't need to do the law because he did the law, something along those lines. Uh, all the way on the other end of the spectrum uh, with Orthodox Jews uh, that are looking at every jot and tittle and trying to be especially scrupulous with the Torah and keeping God's law and are pretty upset if non-Jews like us want to. Then you've got some pretty cool cats in the middle there uh, that uh, we've spent some time with and have had here uh, that not only don't mind if we keep the commandments, uh, but they're excited about it and see it as a sign that the Messiah is soon to come. I'm, I'm getting a little tired of trying to figure out what we should be doing. So we're going to deep dive into the apostolic scriptures and go from one end to the other. You'll have a reading assignment every week. It should take you maybe 35 minutes to read everything that you've got to read. You may have four or five questions just to spark you as far as what to read about, what to look for, and what I'm going to talk about uh, in, the, in the week coming. Um, both Gregory and Joshua have offered to fill in throughout this time, um, and I'm going to rely on them from time to time to do so. Uh, so I'll kind of, I mean, until lesson one comes, you won't have any idea where I'm trying to go with this, so you'll be here for that, so after that you and I can talk, and then We'll get together. Um, we're going to read through the apostolic scriptures from one end to the other, but we're going to do it chronologically. And as we read through some period of time, we're then going to discuss it. So I can tell you right now, your reading for next week is in the second to last page of what I gave you, and you'll be reading the birth story. You'll be reading John chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1, and so on. Reading about the birth, conception of Messiah, of John the Baptist. You'll be reading about uh, the baptism, John's ministry early on. Yeshua's ministry is a uh, miracle at Cana, and stuff like that. This is all stuff we've all read. We we'll all have some kind of background in this. But in the Torah walk, I think we've kind of neglected actually reading the words of the Messiah and reading the story and so forth. So... Our goal in this class is twofold. Number one, to become, God bless you, to become intimate with the apostolic scriptures. And two, is to capture, as we're reading through, how were the non-Jews treated? Did, did Yeshua treat the non-Jew differently than the Pharisee? How about than the Sadducee? How about the guys who came in and said that they wanted to also practice the, the tenets of Judaism. What happened to these people, and how were they treated? So that we have an idea, when we're done, of at least what that part says. Follow-up class certainly would be to look at the Tanakh then in light of what we see. Questions? Okay. There's only one rule for class. If you didn't do your homework, you can't talk. Just stay quiet. Somebody asks you something, just kind of defer. Okay, so there was no homework this week, so you can feel free to jump in. So if you'll flip in your, uh, in your handout past the introduction. 
page two, you'll get uh, a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, which I think is actually pretty cool. I'm going to read it out loud to you. Which reminds me, we are recording. So if you don't want the rest of the planet to know something, probably best not to say it in this room. If, as you're walking out the door, you realize that you let loose on whatever your wife's secret birthday gift was going to be in the next couple of days, I'll find it on the tape and erase it for you, but it's going to cost you. <laughs> much has been given us, and much will rightfully be expected from us. We have duties to others, and duties to ourselves, and we can shirk neither. We have become a great nation, forced by the fact of its greatness into relations with the other nations of the earth. And we must behave as beseems a people with such responsibilities. Toward all other nations, large and small, our attitude must be one of cordial and sincere friendship. We must show not only in our words, but in our deeds, that we are earnestly desirous of securing their goodwill by acting toward them in a spirit of just and generous recognition of all their rights. But justice and generosity in a nation, as in an individual, count most when shown not by the weak, but by the strong. While ever careful to refrain from wrongdoing others, we must no less we must be no less insistent that we are not wronged ourselves. We wish peace, but we wish the peace of justice, the peace of righteousness. We wish it because we think it's right and not because we're afraid. No weak nation that acts manfully and justly should ever have cause to fear us, and no strong power should ever be able to single us out as a subject for insolent aggression. I think that would be cool for us as well. So let's uh, all try to uh, act seemly as men. So we're about to read the apostolic scriptures. And of course, anybody who's done any serious Bible study knows that one of the first things you need to try and get is the context of the book that you're reading. So it's going to be my privilege to go through the walls uh, one more time. and. Uh, hopefully give a good reminder to most of you, but for some of you may may not have seen the walls. Have you seen the walls? Have you done the timeline, brothers? Yeah, okay. So we're going to walk through it, and I'm, I'm going to race through the four walls uh, after explaining them. I don't think uh, Orlando knows them. Does everybody know Orlando? Everybody? Orlando? Yeah. Okay. Does anybody owe Orlando money? Does, any, does Orlando, do you owe anybody? <laughs> so we're good so far. This is not Orlando, Florida. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go through the walls, and then we're going to focus right there. 200 years prior to the advent of the Master, and 200 years afterwards, just to get some, some strict detail there so we understand what was going on, not only when the Master was born, crucified, and raised, but also what the writers that we're going to be reading were thinking and feeling uh, at that time. Okay? Questions? Yes? Uh, this is not a question, but I do remember once where, I think it was at the Hurricane Marriage where we went through the walls. So, That's it? Yeah. We'll do it again. Here we go. Yay. All right. So, with the walls, we have a Zadik, a righteous man, in each corner. And we're going to start with our first Zadik. Adam. So Adam is created. Halfway down each wall is a thousand years. Halfway down, anybody remember who's in the middle? He walked with God? Enoch. 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 Right? And then in the far corner, as things are continuing to go downhill, we have our next righteous man, Noah. 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 
and he spends a great deal of time preaching and building the ark, and finally, right about there, we have the flood. After the flood, we have a uh, repopulation and the Tower of Babel. After the Tower of Babel, we have our next tzaddik, so this is 1,000, now 2,000 years after creation, and that one is? Abraham. Abraham. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, all of the kids, the fun times in the book of Genesis, uh, getting up to chapter 37 or so, and then we end up at the end of the book of Genesis, and they are in Egypt. Exactly right. So we've got this several hundred year period, 230 years or so, where they are actually in bondage, and then we have right about here Moses and the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. From here, we start with the books of uh, after the Torah, um, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and so forth. And those are right through here. As we approach our next study, 3,000 years from creation, David. King David. King David is in this corner, and you can kind of picture getting into the land, conquering the land, setting up the kingdom, and so forth. Right before him would be uh, Shaul, our first king. From this corner to the middle of the wall, every prophet in the Bible is right there. Within 500 years, every book of prophets is done. We have 12 minor prophets, we have 6 major prophets, we've got 18 prophets, and every single one of them is in that 500 year period. Alright, so we've got the building of the first temple, we've got Solomon, it's a great time, we're doing great, and then things get kind of split, right? And we've got the northern kingdoms, the southern kingdoms, the northern kingdoms get sent into exile, the southern kingdoms finally get sent into exile, and the first temple is destroyed. Everybody with me so far? Some of the children of Israel actually come back from uh, Babylon to Israel, and they begin to build Jerusalem and the, uh, the second temple. Uh, the last folks that you're dealing with right before that happens, of course, would be the book of Esther. Who comes back? What two players come back? Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, which is where you're going to read all about the building of that second temple. So we have the building of the second temple, and uh, by the way, some would say it's a uh, it's a actually a pattern for where we got in our constitution the individual right to bear arms, and in fact the responsibility to bear arms. That whole militia thing based on Nehemiah telling them one guy with the sword, the other guy with the trowel, working on the walls, and so forth. Alright, so the middle of this wall, we've got that 500 year period, so we're just coming back, and now we've got the second temple period, and we've got the zugot. Remember the zugot? What does that mean? Pairs. The pairs, right? So you've got two guys in charge of the Sanhedrin, you've got the president, and you've got the uh, father of the, of the house of Akbeddin. And uh, the pairs rule down through this time. What is happening right where the curtains are? Around the world. Around the world? Around the world. Yeah. It's happening. Hellenism. 
Of Greece. You say Hellenism? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right before Hellenism. I was going to say Alexander. Alexander the Great. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. conquering the world. He is happening all around the world. <laughs> he is happening all <laughs> around the world. And Hellenism is starting to poison everything. Everybody. Everybody. Jesus. All right. So. It's all Greek to everyone. Ooh. Ouch. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to be behind you for a second. Mm -hmm. So Alexander the Great. And then we've got. He died. He died fairly young. Come. He died fairly young, so his kingdom was split amongst four generals, and you've got one of them north of Israel and a different one south of Israel, and Israel's right in the middle. Nasty business. So, what happens? Who's the guy? Antiochus. Antiochus Epiphanes comes and attacks Israel, takes over. Big time decrees, can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. What kind of things? Can't read the Torah. Can't read or study the Torah. Can't circumcise your children. Can't circumcise your children. Can't keep kosher. Can't keep the Sabbath. Can't keep kosher. Can't keep kosher. So this same set of rules we're going to see about 100 years later. So what happened? The Maccabees. The Maccabees happened. The revolt. Judah Maccabee, the hammer. Remember this one about seven weeks from You got a soft chair in the middle? I'll take it. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. We'll get a chance to remember the Maccabees about seven weeks from now. Yep. That's right. So the timing's perfect. We're going to be reading the, the birth of the Messiah and all of that right around Tabernacles and then uh, got Hanukkah coming. So after, uh, after we've got the revolt in Hanukkah. If you'll take a look on page two, the only thing I think we skipped out of that picture is that uh, there had already been so many uh, Hellenized in Babylon that uh, the Septuagint was requested. The Old Testament written in Greek. So we got the Maccabean Revolt, and then I've got a whole bunch of names in a row between 100 before the Common Era and zero. And I just want to bring up a couple of these here. Uh, the Seleucids, Seleucids and the Ptolemies are the ones that are north and south of, of Israel. Uh, at the bottom of the page, last paragraph, the, the priesthood was being corrupted during this Hasmonean period, the Maccabees were Hasmoneans. So this started their dynasty. And they go all the way down into, I think, 63 uh, of the before the common era. So uh, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest's position, was offered uh, by Antiochus to the highest bidder. Instead of being passed down father to son, father to son. How long does a manslayer have to stay in the city of refuge? If he gets there without somebody killing him. Until the current high priest dies. Until the current high priest dies, and then he can leave. This kind of messes that up, doesn't it? All right, so we've got them building gymnasiums, which is where they work out naked. And uh, <coughs> Jason, whose real name was Joshua, actually offered to build a gymnasium right next door to the temple. And that got him the job of high priest. So that's pretty cool. Same kind of stuff I think goes on today in politics. <laughs> um, but what can you do? 
So after the revolt, we've got uh, the Simon Maccabee and his two sons are assassinated. People are getting assassinated all over the place. Um, we've got John Hyrcanus, and he just magically was not present at the dinner where his dad and brothers were assassinated. Um, but he expanded uh, Israel and the reach and just took over any lands where there were any Jews or people that claimed any kind of Jewish ancestry. Uh, the land of Edom, where the Idumeans were, um, he forcibly converted them, which, if you're not clear, means that he forcibly circumcised them as well. Yikes. Um, so during the tenure, according to uh, the Mishnah in Parah 3.4, John Hyrcanus, as the high priest, prepared the ashes of two red heifers. That's pretty rare that, that uh, there would be two in the, the life of one of the high priests. He had been a Pharisee pretty much all his life, and yet at the end of his life, decided that he'd become a Sadducee. And that gives us the famous rabbinic line, don't believe in yourself until your dying day, written in the top. Okay, so Hyrcanus was uh, succeeded by his son, Alexander Yanai. He was both the king of Israel and the high priest. Any problem with that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. What do we call that in the Constitution? Yeah. Or separation of uh, separation of powers. powers. Exactly, right? Yeah. So yeah. The uh, where's the line supposed to be? Who, where's the high priest line come from? Levi. Aharon. Levi's son Aaron. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, right. and where does the uh, where does the king's line come from? David. From Judah, and ultimately from David. You bet. So. Um, this guy was, was not real nice. Uh, and in fact, um, I've, I read in a couple of places where because he was acting as king and as high priest, some think the Essenes actually left at that point and said, you know what, this is, this is totally bad. This is not the way God intended in his Torah. And we're leaving. And they lived in the wilderness, set up the Qumran community and so on. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but it would explain what was so bad that they actually would remove themselves from the, the whole community of Israel. Uh, one year during Sukkot, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, he refused to perform the water libation ceremony, where they go down and get the water, come up each day, and the last day they do it seven times, he refused to do it. Uh, he had his soldiers kill 6,000 Jews that day. His wife took over as queen of Israel. Uh, she was supporting the Pharisees. Uh, her son ruled afterwards. He was sort of uh, Pharisaic as well, but his brother was Sadducee. Uh, so we've already got the schism between those two starting, and we are still at least 50 years before the Master is born. Okay? So it got so bad. They had such a, an amazing civil war going on in Israel, just as we're approaching the time of Messiah, that Rome had to step in, send a guy in to just clean house. Mm -hmm. That's what caused the Roman rule and there to be a, a proconsul that was assigned or, or put in by Rome. Okay? And the first guy to be put in? Herod. Herod the Great. You bet. So then, I, in about 63, you've got the Hasmonean dynasty ends, and we get instead the Herodian dynasty. So we've moved from priests that were acting as kings to what actually turned out to be an Idumean. Okay, 
Herod married the Hasmonean princess Mariamne, but later he killed her. Don't you hate that? It was about this time, again about 50 years before the master, uh, that we had a Jewish insurrectionist group. And I want you to think about the guys that uh, you bump into that are preppers and storing up a whole lot of ammo these days and just waiting for the, the thing to just collapse. That kind of deal. These kind of people um, don't want to be identified. And some would call them patriots. Some would call them rebels. Same thing happened back then. Uh, they were called the Kanaim. And in the Bible, you read that as zealots. I know some zealots. They're zealots. So they sought to rebel against Rome, and the rest we read in the Apostolic Scriptures. So that's the end of the Second Temple period. The last one we'll look at in detail is the Talmudic period. And of course, it starts with the birth of Messiah, which actually was probably three to six years before the common era began, not actually at zero. Um, we had a uh, thriving Sanhedrin back then, and the Zugot, the last two pairs were? Halel and Shammai. Halel the Elder. And uh, Yeshua began his ministry at about the age of 30, and that was the year that Halel died. I think that's significant. Nobody seems to think so, but I do. So the uh, prevailing question facing the elders in those days, what are we going to do with all these non-Jews? What do we do with these people? Everybody wants to practice Judaism. If you look at a picture of the Temple Mount, you've got, if you're looking at it from a distance, this, this little stand-up deal on this big plain. The big plain was the court of the Gentiles. It had to be that big just to hold all the people that wanted to come and worship. And of course, they weren't allowed to draw near there was a fence, and every few feet, a little sign, if you come through here, we'll kill you. <coughs> Lovely place to be. All right. So things were tough. I'm on page four. We've got a new picture. You can look through all of that later on. Um, they're tough for the Jews under Rome. After the crucifixion of, uh, of Yeshua, it got even worse. Taxes, taxes taxes. I mean, it just sounds so much like America. But anyway. Let's um, more taxes. Yeah. <laughs> particularly Brutal. Brutal. Yes, and Caligula is the guy who was, uh, who was there uh, at that time. And, you know, these Roman procurators um, had a, a reputation because they were supposed to collect the taxes that Rome told them to get. And they were given a quota. But they were allowed to keep anything beyond the quota. Now this, is, this is just a stupid system. This is just going to make the guy want to get more. And they got a very, very bad reputation as tax collectors, as you'll read later on uh, when you hear about the call of Matthew. So in 66, Flora stole a whole mess of silver out of the temple, and the people went bonkers. They revolted against Rome. The zealot ranks surged in the Galilee, and they won. They actually won. They won a lot. They won a little bit too much. And Rome sent in professional troops and wiped out over 100,000 Jews in one day. Bam. They were killed or sold into slavery. 
The moderate Jews in leadership in Jerusalem had done nothing to help in this revolt, and it soured the refugee fighters. Um, so when they fled the Galilee where they were fighting and came to Jerusalem, these, these mercenaries, if you will, Jewish zealots, killed the entire leadership in Jerusalem because they had refused to help or send any help or convince the people to help. So you can see this amazing civil war now, and this is why the sages looked back and said, you know why the temple was destroyed? Do you know why we were kicked out of Jerusalem? Do you know why we're not in the land? Faceless hatred. And this is, this is exactly the same kind of stuff that was going on when Rome first came in. Now they've come in and it's an, all, it's an all out war. So the zealots have decreed that if you advocate surrendering to Rome and making a peace, they're going to kill you. That's on the Jewish side. The Romans are looking to kill all the Jews and that's when uh, I'm sure you've heard about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. He is smuggled out as a, uh, as a corpse he makes peace with the Roman uh, general Vespasian, who eventually becomes the emperor, and he's permitted to move the Sanhedrin to Yavne. And uh, that's run by Rabban Gamliel, which is uh, Halal's grandson. In uh, 70 of the Common Era, the walls of Jerusalem were breached on 17 Tammuz. That, if you're familiar with your uh, Zechariah passage, it is the fast of the fourth month. And then on the night of Av, the temple was destroyed. That would be the fast of the fifth month. Hadrian became the emperor in 118 of the Common Era, and he started deporting Jews to North Africa. I wonder why they're dispersed so much. Uh, he made circumcision a crime. The zealots began to revolt one more time, and this time Rabbi Akiva, who had become convinced that Bar Kokhba was the Messiah, encouraged the rebellion against Rome. Final battle took place in Betar, and Bar Kokhba's headquarters housed both the Sanhedrin and the home of the uh, head of the Sanhedrin in Nazi. Adrian is the one to rename Judea to Palestina, or Palestinia, and so if you read about Palestine now in the news, it didn't used to be called Palestine, it used to be called Judea. He also forbade Torah studies, Sabbath observance, circumcision, Jewish course, meeting in the synagogues, eating kosher, all that kind of stuff, in the same way that uh, uh, Antiochus had. Many Jews assimilated, and many of the sages and prominent men were martyred, including Rabbi Akiva and the uh, Ten Martyrs. We'll read about some other time. The Jewish community suffered horrendous losses during the first Jewish revolt in 66 and the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. Well over a million Jews were killed in the two uprisings, and the leading schools, along with thousands of the rabbinical scholars and students, were devastated. This decline in the number of knowledgeable Jews seems to have been a decisive factor to cause something to happen that had never happened before. Since the Torah was given on Mount Sinai, that which was not written down is presumed to have been told from teacher to student teacher to student, teacher to student, all the way down for over a thousand years. And either because there were no Jews left to teach, there were no, were no Jews left to learn, or the Jews that were left just were going to forget, or because of the dispersion. 
that they were all you know out of the land now. Um, Rabbi Judah the Prince wrote down the oral law, or the best representation of it. That's called the Mishnah. So that's uh, that's where we are at about 200. So if we continue just quickly for those who have not seen the walls before, after the the uh, Mishnah is redacted by Rabbi Judah the Prince, it is uh, sent to Babylon, and there in uh, in the land they start discussions about looking at this. If you want to study the Sabbath and you want to find it in the Word of God, you are going to be looking all over the Word of God. But if you grab the Talmud, there's a tractate for the Sabbath, and it tells you all about that. And uh, the Mishnah is the laws of how to keep the Word of God, and then the discussions about it in the Gemara. One was created in Babylon, one was created in Israel. Put the two together, and you've got a Babylonian Talmud, and you've got a Jerusalem Talmud. Uh, about 300 is when the uh, Jerusalem Talmud was done, and about 500 in the middle of the wall is when the Babylonian Talmud was completed. So that's the Talmudic time. The Gaonic time, uh, Gaon is a, uh, a Torah scholar, a, uh, a Torah genius, if you will. And that period of time, if you go back to your uh, previous uh, square picture, you can see the uh, quick layout. Of course, at 500, we've got uh, 500, 530, something like that. We've got Muhammad and the, uh, the creation of Islam. That's been a thorn in everyone's side since then. Um, Anand ben David is uh, reportedly the man who's given us our prayer sitter. Uh, Amram Sa uh, Sadia Gaon. Um, these are some great men of God. The riff. These guys were teaching constantly and receiving from Jews all over the world. In Babylon, they were getting all kinds of requests for teaching, decisions, and so forth. And at the end of that period, when Rashi comes on the scene, um, we have the closing of these Gaonic schools and uh, most of the Babylonian uh, schools. We've got the Rishonim period. The uh, Rishonim is the first ones, and these are the classic sages of Israel that we read. If you look at my bookshelf in here and in, uh, in the lab, these are the guys that we read. Um, great stuff. Unfortunately, some bad stuff happened to Jews. We have the Crusades, originally started by the Christians, to go back and take Jerusalem from the Muslims. Uh, but before they left England, uh, they wiped out a couple of cities of Jews and uh, did not do them well. So we've got the Rambam, the Ramban, we've got the Rosh, we've got the Tour. Uh, in the middle of there, we've got the Shulchan middle of that wall, 1500. And uh, right before that, of course, you've got the Black Plague in Europe, wiped out a whole lot of people. The people wiped out least were the Jews, so they were blamed for it. Why did they tend to last longer and not be susceptible to it? Better cleanliness. Better cleanliness. They didn't bury their dead in their walls. They didn't go to the bathroom inside, stuff like that. 
They followed the Torah. A lot of washing of hands. A lot of washing of hands. And most importantly, they had God on their side. Yeah, that helps too. That helps too. You've got the Ari, the Baal Shem Tov, the Vilna Gaon, and the Chofetz Chaim. And that brings us to our corner right there, and you are the righteous men there. So that's a review of the history so that you have an idea of what was going on. And on page five in the middle, I've got a bulleted thing there that kind of lists the high points of what happened in that 400-year period from 200 before to 200 after the master's birth. So, what, uh, what effect do you think all of this killing, civil war, and all that had on the writers of the apostolic scriptures? No effect. It may have wiped out future great writers. Good. Good. Certainly they would want to write it down, just as Judah the Prince wanted to write down the oral law to make sure that it was preserved, especially if people are getting killed. Good. It definitely seems to be um, Yeshua's thing in a lot of his teachings seems to center around interpersonal relationships. Sure. He's yeah. got a big deal with love. Yeah. And loving your neighbor. And how people treat one another and being un unnecessarily critical right. and so on. Good, good. What else? Yes, sir. For the first time, it seems like this is a good explanation why so many people had this sense of urgency. Yeah. Because of all of the mm -hmm. uneasiness and, and mm -hmm. uncertainty. It, you just get that a lot throughout the Apostolic Scriptures. Yep. And you always think, looking, reading it now, you're like, what were they so worried about? Well, you know what, what were they, they worried about? And, and why were they so convinced that he had to come now? Right, right. And you see just how war-torn everything was and, and how much conflict. Yeah. And you, you realize, oh, they had no idea how long they'd have or That's know, right. when, when he would come back. Yeah. And um, do you recall one of the uh, disciples saying, you're going to set up your kingdom now? Yeah. Well, now it makes sense when you realize they're under Greek rule, then they're under Hasmonean <coughs> rule that with all the civil war and fighting didn't seem to be much better. Then you've got Roman rule, and that was just, just a, a lousy time. Paying extra taxes just because you're Jewish has got to be tough. <coughs> yes? I think there's also... You know, there was, you know, Jews have been counting the years from creation, you know, since creation. <laughs> <laughs> long time. For a long time. <laughs> um, so they obviously know at the, at the time that Yeshua comes on the scene, they know where where they're at, you know, in the in on God's clock. Right. And there was an expectation that Messiah could come or would come on the fourth day. Right. The fourth day of creation. Of the fourth day of create the fourth day of creation as as a um, as a parallel to the first four thousand years right. of, of history because a day was with the Lord is a thousand years. Yeah. Thousand years is like a day, so they the seven days of creation, of literal seven days, 
was on, was there was a teaching and, and a long tradition that there was a parallel to seven thousand years of history. Why would they expect the Messiah to come on the fourth day? Well, what happened on the fourth day of creation? The luminaries, the signs, were created on the fourth day. So the tradition or the teaching that came out of that was that because the, on the fourth literal day of creation, the lights, the luminaries, the signs in the heavens that would correspond to about the time that we would expect the Messiah. So there was all kinds of expectation yeah. built in, and what was happening on the ground just reinforced that, right? Here we are, we're under sure. we're under Roman oppression, prior to that Greek oppression, you know, prior to that Babylonian. I mean, so we've been, you know, we've been handed off from one Gentile oppressor to the to the next. Right. And so there's just there's all kinds of expectation that okay now we've reached the end of the of of, of we're, we're nearing the end of day four right. on the calendar so we're looking for Messiah to come that's neat and they and were if, right and he if, came and, and they were right he did come right. and John's gospel opens with a really cool throwback to the creation story and the focus on light and the sign that's yeah. that is really cool. which of course then also gets pulled in with the, the magi. Right. Yes. And the, the why, star. And why were they looking? Yeah. Why are they looking? And why would they be looking then? Well, and, and then I mean, yeah. And then the, on top of that, in addition to the tradition associated with the fourth day, you have what appears to be some sort of math in Daniel that lines up really close with that time frame, which is actually one reason, what I understand, why Akiva, a hundred years later, says Bar Kokhba's Messiah. Right. He's doing the same math. He's got his dates off a little bit, but basically he's. He's looking at it saying, this is the time the Messiah is supposed to be here. It must be that guy. Right. Yeah. By the way, Bar Kokhba sort of gets a, a bum rap. He was a violent, strong, tremendous leader. And some of the things you read about him apocryphally is that you know his soldiers were all missing a finger because they had to prove that they were gutsy or they had to grab a cedar tree and, with one arm and just pull it up out of the ground you know, while they went by on a horse. Stuff like that, um, but he's he's known for being one of the most pious men, absolutely strict with the Torah, eating kosher, all of that kind of stuff. He was actually the head of the Sanhedrin for a time. So, fighters and guys that carry guns can be good, <laughs> or spears, what? or really really big knives. Yeah. So, all right. So, you're going to read about. Uh, uh, this uh, in this in this week coming up, but uh, what about Shimon or Simon the Zealot? <laughs> I I just find it interesting. The Zealots are these underground rebels looking for an opportunity to overthrow the government or to be ready to set up a government or whatever, not unlike some of the patriotic preppers out there these days, um, don't you find it kind of odd that one of them would be counted as one of his apostles? Not necessarily. I mean, I think that if you think about it, zealots are looking to overthrow Rome. 
they're looking for yeah. a Jewish kingdom. Absolutely. Makes total sense to be looking for a guy who thinks the Messiah. And, um, the, as you pointed out earlier, the Zealots had great success in the Galilee. That was really a stronghold for them. Yeah. So, so the here's Jewish the master in the Galilee. Focus of his ministry is in that area. So there's, there's definitely an understandable connection. And he pulls in people from all over the place, like in terms of walks of life. Oh, yeah. You got the zealot, collector. then you've got the tax collector, you've got the fisherman, you've got guys who seem to be, you know, maybe a little bit more on the educated side, guys who seem like they're doing the blue collar, the blue collar jobs. You've got, um, and even in addition to Simon the Zealot, there's one interpretation that Judas Iscariot is actually not a last name, but a, ty- a, ty- a class, because there was a group called the Sakari, who the were assassins. the assassins. They were essentially like. Um, Good with the knife. Yeah, that, so they were they were like a, yeah, a a group of assassins that you know have somewhat uh, infamous background. But anyway, the point is that he, Yeshua's bringing in all of these different people. I mean, he's got women of ill repute following him that, that repent and turn around. He's got uh, the wealthy. He's got the religious. The Pharisees are following everywhere. Like he's got all of these different groups. So it's me. It's not surprising that he happens to snag a zealot in his top twelve. I'm with it. Or an assassin. Right, right. Although that one didn't turn out so well. Turns out he kind of was an assassin. Catholic Church really says he did a good job. He brought redemption yeah, to the world. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you got to you got to give the guy well, credit. You should point out that he does what he's supposed, supposed to do. It so had to be yeah. one of the twelve. Right, it had to be one of the twelve. Yeah. Other comments on the uh, on the timing here. The scriptures say that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Surely we can see now, in hindsight, what a tremendous fullness it was as the Greeks still had a lot of power and had a lot of nations. Hellenism is ripe throughout the world. Now Rome taking over Israel, the Jews looking for the Messiah at that point, Sanhedrin with Hillel, uh, a great, great man, very sensitive uh, and welcoming to non-Jews who are interested in the Torah. It appears to be a perfect storm. And then you've got a global thing going on too where polytheism, which has been the dominant yeah. global religion, if you want to call it a single religion, for the past, or basically since Noah, right. is completely imploding. The, the, even though the Greeks and the Romans obviously are quite famous for all of their pantheon, literally, but, they, um, but their philosophers are beginning to actually challenge the concepts behind polytheism, and you can see almost a semblance of, of agnosticism or atheism starting to emerge You've got all of these weird mystical religions in Egypt and Turkey and different places becoming really um, becoming stronger around the time of Yeshua. So Judaism is almost like a it's like a it's it's out of all of the different like cool religions at this point, it's the oldest. So you have all these other religions that are kind of challenging the status quo, but the one monotheistic religion that's been there for a couple thousand years is is right there in Israel. So it, to me, again, things make sense. It makes sense that that's drawing in and it's attracting people who are 
they're kind of lost and confused. Yeah. They don't understand what's going on. And, right. and then, according to the Gospels, um, Yeshua talked to the Pharisees sending out you know, missionaries, which is ironic. Um, and, and then, so you've got people from other parts of the Mediterranean hearing about the God of Israel and getting curious. And, and wanting to go to Israel to see the God of Israel. And then on top of all of that, um, Rabbi Gimpel, one of his comments, he, he, he teaches this idea that whenever Messiah is close, you know, it, it seems like Messiah is going to be here, could be here soon, whatever, all of a sudden, oddly enough, Gentiles start getting interested in Israel. And more importantly, Israel starts getting interested in Gentiles. Which is good. Which is good. So we see that with um, kind of a you know the quasi-messianic-ish era, like with David and Solomon. Um, Solomon decides to maybe not go the best route and pulling those Gentiles in, but they kind of appear there. Um, you, and then you've got, uh, around the time of the Master, obviously, it's a huge deal, because the Messiah is actually going to be there. Right, right. Good. Good. Other comments? The, uh, the perfect storm... didn't last very long. And if you think about it, if the master was born, let's say, 20 years later than he was, he would have been caught up in all of the mess going on afterwards. And it, it appears that there's almost a lull during his lifetime in the animosity it's still not pleasant. There's still taxes being paid. There's still the pain in the neck of dealing with the Romans. Go with him two miles if he asks you to go one mile kind of thing. Um, but it appears that they're able to travel up to the, to the festivals on a regular basis without being harassed. They're able to have weddings, do their own deal, and live life, and evidently live it fully. And certainly the uh, Sadducees were making some good bucks working with the Romans. So, good. All right. So here's how the, uh, the homework's going to work. If you'll flip to uh, the second to last page, I have provided you with a chronological Bible. That is the Apostolic Scriptures. So you're going to read this week Malachi... The entire book, I know. All four chapters. Um, Luke chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, which you should be real familiar with. In the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, and God, you know, and all that. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 38. You've got your uh, birth stories there. Matthew 2 and Luke 2, 39 through 52. Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3. Matthew 4, Luke 4 and 5. And then John 1, 15 to 51, which is to the end of that chapter. And then you get three more chapters of John. I literally set my timer on my phone. And I clicked the links in that PDF. And it opened up my browser to BibleStudyTools.com. And there was the passage that I was supposed to read. And I read everything you are supposed to read in 33 minutes and 36 seconds. And I took a phone call in the middle from Mary. So this is not arduous. It's not real long. So 
stay with me, okay? Don't don't bail just because you got to do some reading. And this is on the Minotaur website. As it's well. already on the Minotaur website. This document is uh, is on the resource page, and every time you click a link on click click that link, it will give you the same document, but it'll have more in it each time. Uh, as soon as I finish putting together the lesson one, uh, you click on it, you'll have it. And I'll next time I print them, I'll print them on. I'd rather not print them if you could do it electronically, but. Uh, um, you know, some of you younger guys work on your phones better than you can on an iPad, which I think is absolutely weird, but I get it. So if you want to do that, the link will let you click, and it'll jump right to the thing. Um, where I've got more than one link on a, on a line like that, you got to watch. Sometimes it doesn't put them in the same order I had them. So it's got like three sections if there's three references, but they may not be in that order. Read them in this order because that'll be as chronological as you can make it. I saw that hand, give me one second. Um, keep in mind, well, maybe you don't know. How many Gospels are there? Four. four. It's not a trick. Okay, there's four. <laughs> What's a Gospel? A What's a Gospel? Remember, the right answer is always Jesus. No. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus' birth, uh, death, and resurrection. Okay? What happened to his life in between? I mean, That's in there too. <laughs> as much as we've got. Yeah. Growing up as a boy, you probably want to grab your Catholic Bible and read the stuff in between. Some of that's really cool. <laughs> Some of it's really wild too. Um, there are three Gospels that are called synoptic. What does that mean? They coordinate. They work together. They're parallel. Okay? Presumably from the same source document, maybe from the same inspired Holy Spirit. I don't know. But there's three Gospels that are absolutely parallel, and John's is not one of them. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are parallel Gospels. They tell the same story, sometimes from a different different vantage point, sometimes in a slightly different way, sometimes it leaves out some things. So as you're reading through, you may think to yourself, he messed up. I just read this part. <laughs> well, you're reading it in the other guy's perspective. Some of them, especially in the beginning, are, are very, very close. Okay? Um, so bear with that. After the Gospels, what's the next book? The Acts of who? The Apostles. The Apostles. Okay? So first we had four books that talked about the Master, and then we have one book that talks about his Apostles. And it picks up on what's known as the Day of Pentecost. Okay? So it picks up on Shavuot and takes them from there um, about 40 years, 40, 50 years. And we're going to look at that timing and all of that stuff as we go through. All right, after the Acts, all the rest of it are letters. Letters to Rome, letters to Rome. Yeah, letters to the Rome, you know, all these people. But we're going to look at these letters in very, very strict ways. Who was it written to? What was going on historically? Why was this written? And can this really apply to me and us? Or what should we glean from it? Uh, one book. Did you have something? Everything in here except one is written in purple. Is there something specific about the purple? Yes. The ones that are in the uh, purple are the links that I clicked on in the document before I printed it for you. Yes, sir. Um, but I'll fix that. One, one tidbit about Paul's epistles, Paul's yeah. letters. 
Um, Timmy, in his book, uh, Paul the Letter Writer, which is a great yeah. book. If nobody, if you've ne- Tim Hay, if you've never read that, I would encourage you to, awesome book. to, to look at that. That's he a, gives a lot of context and history for uh, Paul and who he was and whatever. But one of the things uh, he brings out is Paul is writing these letters and dispatching them to these communities in these outlying areas. And uh, but he brings out that where, where did he learn to do that? He learned to do that from his rabbi, who was his rabbi, Ramban Gamliel, because it's, it's recorded in other Jewish sources that Ramban Gamliel would sit on the steps of the temple and would dictate out a letter and send one of his disciples to go dispatch the letter to these to, you know, to other groups of, of, of his disciples that were in outlying areas. And, right. And Paul, being a very close um, disciple of Gamaliel, uh, learned to write letters and dispatch them, you know, from his rabbi, which is kind of a neat, yeah, neat, very uh, cool stuff. Some of the letters are written because there's a significant problem. If you don't know what the problem is, you may think that this is the way we need to live, and not take some with perhaps a grain of salt. Yes. And I noticed in your, at least at times, you try to get us to read the entire epistle yeah. in one week, yeah. which is the way that it would have been intended to be read. Exactly. And also helps a lot with avoiding confusion, yeah. because Paul has a funny way of kind of playing off something he just said. Exactly. Sort of sarcastically. Yeah. Some of his letters are, are, are easy to bust in half. The first half of the letter versus the second half of the letter. And so I've tried to bust it up that way if I could. So you're right, trying to trying to work on it. Um, as we get further into the study, I give you less and less to read each time. But um, you know, the last couple of times, you're going to read a lot of, you know, the Book of Revelation. Just enjoy it. Have a good time with it. I want to recommend that you not stick with the version of the Bible that you always read, or the version of the Bible that you've always read these stories in. I'm all for wearing your Bible out. I get it. (laughs) But I really want you to look at the apostolic scriptures as if you're picking them up for the first time. I really do. So that we can can really come at this brand spanking new and see what's there. Or, in some cases, what's not there. Like Easter. Easter is there in the King James one time in the book of Acts, (laughs) but... um, Anyway, questions? All right. Think now and help me. I'm going to go around the room real quick. I mean real quick. If you got nothing, just say, I got nothing. We'll laugh at you, but you can say it. Okay. So, you knew before we started we were going to be studying the apostolic scriptures. Um... I want to call them the apostolic scriptures or the apostolic writings. I want us to get out of the habit of calling them the New Testament. Because there's two problems with the New Testament. New and Testament. (laughs) Other than that, it's a great title. The. So, there's nothing new here. And as far as the Testament goes, that comes from last will and 
Testament. So it's just it's not a good it's not a good deal. If we say it's a New Testament, it implies that the rest of the Bible is old, out of date, passe, replaced, replaced, and we don't believe that. I was taught that there is no New Testament and there is no Old Testament. It's just one book. That's exactly right, man. I tell you what, one book. If your Bible's got a white page in it. At the end of Malachi 4, because you're going to be reading that this week, and you flip over, there's this white page, and it says, New Testament. You can just tear that bad boy out. If you're younger than 18, check with somebody before you do that. I don't want any repercussions. I also don't want to call it the New Covenant. Now, a lot of people call it the New Covenant, or they'll call it the Brit Harsha, right? In Hebrew, New Covenant. Why don't we want to call it the New Covenant? It's the same as the Well, there's, there's two problems here. <laughs> new and covenant. All right, so um, is there a new covenant? Yes. Absolutely. Describe Where do we read about it? Jeremiah. What chapter? 31. 31. 31. What verse? 31. 31 through 34. 34. Yeah. Okay. So that's where the new, t- the new covenant, which does exist, and which hopefully you all are members of. If you're not, you will burn. You will die. You... You have no hope. You're far off from God. Well, we haven't got to that yet, but we, you know, we'll get there. Why do people call it the New Covenant? Yeshua's comments at the Last Supper about this is a covenant, my blood. This is my blood in the New Covenant. Good. Seems odd to name the whole thing that. So, apostolic scriptures or apostolic writings. Try and practice that. Um, I like apostolic scriptures because when I say apostolic writings eyebrows go up from some people and they think he doesn't think this is scripture. <laughs> I've okay. also heard it called, referred to as the Nazarene Codicil. Ooh! That's a new one. The NC. Or the Torah Hashlichim. Right. So the Torah of the, of the Apostles. Yeah. Of the, of the <laughs> yeah. And we use a, a similar phrasing in the, in the reading before reading the apostolic scriptures. So so that's the deal there. So knowing that we were going to be studying this, give me some kind of hint as to what you're hoping to get out of this so that over the next 15 weeks, whether I'm teaching, he's teaching, he's teaching, or anybody else who might want to teach will be teaching, um, what are you trying to get? No pressure, go. Two things. Two things. One, I would like... To be able to quote Yeshua more often when describing uh, to our commentary or Good. you know talking with my family, yeah. and then well, the second, master says right, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and then the second thing is when it comes to some of the the biographies of, of sages and people that we've respected in the past. Yeah. When things aren't necessarily halakha, but they seem really cool in their life, mm-hmm. like sometimes there's a, there's a tendency to want to start implementing that. Well, yeah. I'd like to start doing that with the apostolic scriptures. You've got examples of things that are not necessarily halakha, but things that we hear about and, and are described. Sure. I think sure. it would be cool to, Grab to start those grabbing out. those and implementing them in my life. An example, outstanding, an example of that would be Abraham. Always, you know, inviting guests in and so forth. And uh, we, we, we read about some habit of always walking their guests out and walking them to the car. And I try to do that as often as I can. Great thing to grab onto. Seems like a good deal. Maybe we can find some in the apostolic scriptures. That's great. How about you? Besides raising a, the next godly generation. 
Uh, I think being able to uh, adequately defend hmm. the uh, deity of Yeshua. Nice, nice. I, I struggle with that one myself, and I don't know that we're going to get the answer in the apostolic scriptures, but surely we should see the hook that brings us back. Yeah. Exactly right. Outstanding. Talk. Just like uh, we were looking at the 200 years before and after yeah. and seeing the structure of when this is happening and what's going on all around it, yeah. I, I look forward to going through the apostolic scriptures and seeing all the background from uh, from the Torah, yeah. <laughs> from the uh, Tanakh. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim is an acronym. Tanakh is the Hebrew Bible. It's what are the people called? The Old Testament. <laughs> Good. I, I think uh, my, my desire as, as I write the, the rest of these, these uh, lessons is to do exactly that. Um, as we're reading through what should for all of us be such familiar material, I find I've I just breezed past it. I'm not, I'm not looking closely. That's why I'm deliberately changing the version I read. So I'm reading these funky versions that I would normally never read, but it makes me stop and go, what do you think? So I pull out the, the real word of God and go, oh, that's bad. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I want to find that. I want to find those spots where non-Jews are dealt with. You're going to be reading John chapter 4 this week. It's the latest one in the, in the Gospels that you'll be reading. And in John chapter 4, Yeshua meets someone. Do, does anybody know who he means? John chapter 4, Nicodemus. That's three. Oh, three. That's chapter three. Yes. Right. The, woman, uh, the, the woman at the well, right? Um, the woman at the well. Yeah. And she's a half-breed. She shares sister. No, um, that's for the older crowd, sorry. Um, she's half Jewish. Said that's that's what Samaritans are. They're half breeds, right? So, but she's treated by Jews as a non-Jew. So, how does he treat her? What does he say to her? As you're reading this week, you definitely want to write down what he says to her, because he says some pretty cool things about the future. Were they predicted or were they not predicted? Well, when he says it. By definition, it's the truth. Yay. <laughs> so that's good. So I want to see that. I want to, I want to see what he says about non-Jews and how those are related. But I also want to say, okay, well, he just did something there. And in fact, you're going to read that. He's going to open the scroll and he's going to read in, in, in his own synagogue. And he says, this just came to pass in your hearing. Okay, what was he reading from? Let's go read that, that kind of thing. So, good. Outstanding. Yeah. I mean, yeah, several things have already been mentioned, but I, I want to I want to be able to tie everything in the apostolic writings back to the, back to its source. Good. And good. it's not. Um, I want to really be able to, you know, the last kind of big study that we did before we took our sabbatical was uh, uh, was Messy Night Shrine, right? right? Which was fantastic. You bet. And in the teachings of Yeshua, Yeshua does not have much to say about halacha. Right. Um, occasionally a little bit here and there, but very little to say about halacha. But what he has 
that the world needs is a um, a a deep um, a deep morality, a deep musar, a deep ethic that's rooted, of course, in a in a, in a deep relationship with God. Sure. And um, I, I want to really kind of tap into that um, in the in the in the in, in the Gospels in particular, but throughout the entire Apostolic writings. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's good. I, I can tell you that I have never done a study of the whole deal. This is a big enchilada, but I can't wait because I've I've gone through, we've gone through books at a time. Sometimes those books take months. So we're not going to dig into them that deep looking for the theology as much as we are. Why was it written? What does it say? What's the key phrases? Stuff like that. But being able to tie that stuff back is critical for me. I'm looking forward to that. Senior. Well, I really like structure. So having an actual outline of what I'm going to study helps me instead of like when times I've tried to study and learn more about the apostolic writings on my own. I felt like I got lost, especially as I read through different Gospels, because then it was like contradicting information, and right. I was completely lost. So right. I would say from a form of having a structure and going through it in chronological order, that'll help me to grasp it and process it. Good. But doing it like in a parallelical manner, I have everything parallel together and can kind of see the differences and hopefully put them together a little better than I've Good. Been in the past. I want to encourage you when you're reading, take your take your uh, your outline thing there. And if you got a question, don't struggle with it. Write it down. That's exactly what class is all about. If you guys are coming here to hear me talk, you're not coming here for the right reason. You need to come so everybody else can hear you talk. And if you're all, you know, mute that night, I will have an hour and a half to talk about. Use I think building what, um, what Isaac said, I think a lot of us who grew up in the church, we we got this kind of bedrock mm. of understanding of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And for me, the time I, even in the past couple of years where I've spent most of my time in the Torah and it's not, the amount of time I spent in the New Testament still outweighs. In the what? In, oh, I'm sorry. In the Nazarene codicil. <laughs> <laughs> It's still outweighs the amount of time I spent in the Torah of the Tanakh, even though I've spent, I feel, more quality time here. Right. But it's still, there's so much of this. Right, right. And, and it's, as Isaac said, it's easy to get lost when you try to do it yourself. Yeah. I think this is going to be important, not to necessarily replace the understanding I had before, but to look at it from the, 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 the perspective that, uh, that this walk affords us and the, the Jewish perspective and really... And just try to understand better where they were at, specifically from a historical perspective. I think it's going to be huge. Good. Yeah, I think uh, I think we we do the master a disservice, and I think we we are unable to adequately express what we believe if we can't go through the apostolic scriptures. And as Greg said, this came from right here. That's the hook. He is saying or doing something that was predetermined and written down this long ago. If we're talking about a, about a prophet, they're all right here, right? So, a thousand years earlier, that was written about him. A promise was made to that guy about him. And we should be able to tie those. I think it'll work out nicely. Yes? Um, I think first episode. Oh. Me? Yep, you. Refresher. 
I haven't read, I mean, especially talking about things like Second Thessalonians. Jude. Wow, it's been a long time. Isn't that um, the smoke? In fact, I think there are some the of these. Drugs that smell like smoke? Yeah, yeah. I think there's some of these, I don't even know if I've actually done a study on, I mean, I've read them at some point, but yeah. yeah. Um, but then also, I really want to get a, I want to get a better feel for what I'm supposed to look like. And you mentioned at the beginning, one of the problems we run into is you've got this range and over here, you've got one group, and over here, you've got another group, and this is this, and this is that, and if you don't do it this way, then you're blaspheming, and whatever else, you know, and it's kind of a mess, and while it doesn't, I mean, to your point, it doesn't really address some of the halakhic issues of how do I keep Shabbat, right. um, it'll hopefully, I'd like to get a better idea of what, if a, a true disciple of the Master looks like, not the, <coughs> you know, Christianized version that I grew up with, right. But what does the text actually say? Knowing now what I know from about the Tanakh and the Jewish culture and all that, not only does it, how does this fit in, but more importantly, how does this overlay that? What is this? How does it make me look as a member of, of the Jewish faith, yeah. but not necessarily a Jewish person? Yeah, a non-Jew practicing Judaism. Uh, even something, even a concept um, of what is what is the gospel, right? So you know, in, in, gospel you know, means good news. It will. We know what the word means, but what is? But in a Jewish historical context, what did it mean to your average, you know? Your average Jew walking around Jerusalem or the Galil right. in that day, right? Because I think again, Christianity has defined primarily what the gospel is, right. but is that really how it was understood in that Excellent. time? Excellent. Excellent point. You bet. Um, for both the Jews and the Jews, mm-hmm. right? You know, you get the Jews walking around, and obviously they took to heart that this this message, whatever it was. And in in the book of Acts, we, we find there are, there are tens of thousands coming and saying, yep, I get it, I'm grateful, I'm on it. A lot of priests, surprisingly. So yeah, it'd be good to be good to know exactly what that is mm-hmm. and be able to tie it. Um, I get it. I know there's this range of halakhic view and all of that, and you know I get that we're not going to learn exactly how to keep the Shabbat. But what I'd like to know is, are we supposed to? Because there's Messianic groups out there that are telling us, you should not keep the Sabbath, because you're non-Jews. If you want to keep the Sabbath, that's no problem, you just need to convert. Which is pretty much what the message was coming out in the days of the Master. So we need to take a look at that. I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to be right. I just want to be comfortable and be able to express what I'm doing and why. And if, if somebody doesn't like it, they can get over it, as long as I can defend it. Anybody else? Yes, sir? Comment? Just a quick one. Um, it's not necessarily a goal of mine, but what I do think will result from going through this study with, with the men in this room who have been studying... Tanakh and studying the sages and studying Jewish writings is that when as we have 
you know, people like Jeremy Gimpel, who are, is building a yeshiva for the nations right now, Which is where there's more and more interaction that's happening between Jews and Gentiles. I think what's going to be exciting is the more we learn about the Jewishness of the Apostolic Scriptures, the more we'll be able to say, well, you know, it says that too in the Apostolic Scriptures. And yeah, I, I can still remember some of the conversations we've had yeah. with Jeremy and Ari and just how it'd be like, wait, really? It says that? Like... It's the same thing that's in our book, you know, and right. we would be able to find a lot more commonality, I think, which will then hopefully break down some of those barriers and bring more bridge, unity. Bridge that gap better. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I think that'd be great. That's super. Well, good. Mm-hmm. How about you, Senor? Anything? Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I think looking at the apostolic writings, uh, writings of the apostles is going to be great. Uh, and putting in the context, like we were saying, back to the Tanakh. And what I'm looking at is how we can apply in our lives today, 2016, yeah. life application, what we understand and read from the scriptures. Amen. What do you, and you know, how can we apply this and how do we, are we supposed to be living? That's what you were saying. That's it. You know, and the turmoils and the struggles that we're going through at the time, in their way, at their time, it's the same struggles we're going through today. Nothing's new under the sun. That's right. So if you look at the apostles who were struggling with the religious leaders at the time, and Yeshua was also, we're going through the same thing with the beliefs and the Christians and Easter and Christmas, and we're going through the same thing and just in a different format. Yeah. You know, you were looking, you were talking about the holistic influence. I mean, I, you go back all the way to Genesis when you have two brothers. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were two brothers who were worshiping the same God. They were both told how to worship that God and how to obey it. They were in the same roof, worshiping the same God, and yet they were struggling. Two brothers. That same struggle is the same one that we have today, and that struggle has been from the point in Genesis all the way to now, and that struggle will be here all the way to when Yeshua comes back. That's true. So you have two brothers who believe in the same God, but one decides to obey him the way he calls you to obey. The other one decides to obey him in his own format. I'll do it, but I'll do it my way. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks this next part of this wall. We're going to take it after what we looked at today. We stopped at 135, and after that, and we're going to see the Catholic Church, and we're going to see... What happened? We're going to be looking at why did one group start worshiping this way and the other group start worshiping this way? What caused that? What kept it up? And now, all the way down to today, or 1500, 1595, Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, 95 Theses. You guys all know your church history, right? Yeah. So we're actually later to the game than this. So, that's it. Gentlemen, I have four minutes left. We are going to finish on time every week. You can stay and chat if you want. I'm in the midst of the liver cleanse, so I can't have any wine, but I do have some awesome hibiscus tea. <laughs> awesome hibiscus tea. Awesome <laughs> hibiscus tea, yes. The AWT. I did you go through your goals? My goal... Thank you, that's very kind of you. My goal for this class is that our hearts would be knit together like Jonathan's and David's. 
that we would begin to trust one another, that we would share uh, struggles in our walk, uh, failings in our faith, questions, and, and that we would grow. And as iron sharpens iron, so we would sharpen one another. My goal is that in the end, when we've exhausted it, we throw an unbelievable barbecue out here on a Tuesday night at 7.30, and you don't have to rush to have dinner beforehand. Come here and have dinner, and let me cook for you, and let's have a party. Invite the wives, invite the kids, and say, you know what? We just went through the entire apostolic scriptures, and we're ready for quizzing. <laughs> Sounds That's good to I'm me. <laughs> yes, like I am excited to see in this room there are 14 members of the male persuasion, 11 of whom are bar mitzvah age or older, which actually puts a minion in this room for the first time in a, in a rather long time. It is, yeah. We've been doing this for uh, over five years, and uh, in the beginning we had a minion almost every single time for class on a Tuesday night after everybody's working. So I will be diligent to get you uh, the materials if you will simply be diligent to show up and try and read if you can. If you can't, it's fine. But, you know, but really, um, I'll put the time into it if you will. And I think in the end, it will be fabulous. Um, can you uh, open that thing back up there? And why don't you let Isaac read the bottom half of this time? Here we go. And if you just pluralize it for us. You've got to pluralize it now. That's important. <laughs> right. We're going to go a little slower. We thank you, Adonai, my God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers, for we arise early and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run and they run. We run to the, life, to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. As is written, And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for us, I, we will trust you. Amen. 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 Thank you, man. Thank you.